the third chapter, the first 11 verses today. And uh, uh, it's just, as, as Paul goes through it, I'm reminded of how, and I go through these texts, I'm reminded how much Paul's interpretation and experience of Jesus shapes how I view Jesus along the way. Hear God's word. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. I have to say that as I preach through Philippians, it's going to sound a lot like what I said not long ago, and then again, not long before that. And, and I'm with Paul on this one. I, uh, I've preached to you the same things. It's not troublesome for me. Um, if you get bored, that's one thing. But uh, I, I just think they need, uh, they bear hearing again and again and again, because I know I don't get it. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. That would be people who are insisting upon circumcision. For it is we who are the circumcision. Who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. And this is where Paul is going to say, I don't want to boast, but here it is. I'm going to boast. So he goes on and says, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pray with me. God, I'm not sure I know all that this means. And I'm confident that I'm not as far along in this journey. Not only give us understanding of this, but give us a will to act in Jesus' name. Amen. Debits and credits, you know what they are. You know, for those of you, um, uh, my, wife, my wife used to handle the checkbook, and she handled it to a penny. 
And at one day she gave it over because we don't actually use the checkbook like we used to, right? Uh, but, but every month she would, if there was a penny missing, she'd find it. There's a story um, that N.T. Wright tells of an Oxford Don uh, in the 19th century. Now, an Oxford Don is somebody who, um, at the University of Oxford, they were uh, a lecturer and a researcher and a writer. They were a professor. And the Oxford Dons were people that were kind of above the, the everyday running of things at the school, but he was also the bursar for his college. Oxford is, uh, the system has lots of different colleges. So there's, there's Magdalen College, what Lewis was part of. There's uh, Christ Church, which is the big college that, um, that Harry Potter used to model the, the Hogwarts dining room and the stairwell. In fact, they even filmed some of it there. So there's uh, um, lots of colleges around Oxford um, in, at the high street nearby. Um, he was the bursar for his college, which meant that this person, John Kebble, uh, was a, a pastor, a poet, a theologian, and then he kept the books for his college. Now, I can guarantee you right now, there's hardly a pastor that I would trust, including myself, keeping the books of a church. Don't ever let the pastor be that person. Never. It never works out well. They just, they just didn't go to school for that. Even if they say they know how to do it. Don't believe them. But it was the idea of balancing columns. You know, all know how to balance columns. You add them up, and then you add the other ones up, and if they are agreeing at the end, they're balanced. What we spent, what we got in. And so um, for him, they noticed that one year that he was out of balance by about 2,000 pounds. And it lasted for some time. And they never could find the 2,000 pounds. Until one day the mystery was solved. They looked at the ledger. And the date at the top of the ledger was just, it was probably about the year 1820. And he inadvertently added it in. And then every year it would change, so the number would change at the top. But, but he didn't always add it in, but one year he did. And it was all done by hand. And for years, there was an extra $2,000 somewhere, that, or 2,000 pounds, and they couldn't account for it. They couldn't reconcile the books. Debits and credits, income on one side, expenses on the other. And that's how Paul is viewing what he's talking about. That's the metaphor that he's dealing with when he says, I have banked all these credits. What does he say? If anyone, if anyone has reason to, um, to be proud, anyone has reason, I would say gloat. Um, if anybody has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. And then he starts listing off his accomplishments, Right? He says, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day following the law. I was a member of the people of Israel, which means more than you, 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 uh, you Gentiles here in Philippi. 
I was of the tribe of Benjamin, was well-respected. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I had an inside track. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. Remember what the Pharisees were? They were a, a group of laity who decided that the exile was something that, that was thrust upon them by God because they had not obeyed the law. And what happened is, they, as they were leaving exile, they formed as a group and said, of all of us, we're going to keep the law. We're going to keep the rules. And they became hyper-vigilant in rule-keeping. They were just simply a group of lay people. They weren't the priests, none of that. They were people like you who said, we're going to do this and we will save Israel from any future judgment. And then he goes on and he says, says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. This up-and-coming claim, this up-and-coming fraud, I persecuted those people And I went to great lengths to make sure that that movement would be stomped out. I was a Hebrew among Hebrew. As to righteousness under the law, you could not find fault. Look at all I've done. And I've got this side of the ledger filled out. And there are no debits. As N.T. Wright puts it, every way you looked at it, Paul was in the clear. But does it mean, though, that his account is a credit to him? And Paul will say, no. As he goes on, he said, I had it all. All my accomplishment, all my successes, all my great attributes, all my connections, all of them are to be transferred to a debt. They're of no credit to me and of no help. They are all negatives. Why? Because the currency has changed. It's not about heritage or social status or effort or accomplishment. None of that makes any difference because the new currency is Jesus, the very person of Jesus. Jesus' character is the currency of eternity. Whatever gains, Paul says, I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing I have accomplished compares to the Jesus I know now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, um, Dee and I lost a friend. 
Um, Gary was a, um, a couple years older than me. And, um, and I'd known Gary for, from the time I started seminary, so pretty close to 40 plus years, 45 years. And, uh, and I'd been in covenant groups with Gary. We had, we, he was someone that shared with me his life struggles and, and uh, confessed, and I did the same with him. We, uh, at times, wouldn't see each other for quite a bit of time, and, and, uh, and then we would get together. You know what that's like with people who are true friends. You get back together and as though time hasn't passed. You catch up on the details, but you can talk just as freely as you did before. It's not I have to get to know you again. I'm just so happy to know you. That was Gary. We were pastors together, friends, colleagues, brothers in Christ. He developed a tumor um, early last summer and died in October. I visited him in the hospital in uh, August, and it's the last time I saw him. Not something I'm real proud of. I wish I'd seen him in September. Wish I'd seen him this month. Paul says, nothing I've accomplished compares to the Jesus I know. While we're in the hospital, Gary, um, Gary just looked at me. He said, everything of my past is bullshit. All of it. He said, Craig, all the games I played, all the things that I accomplished, all the things that I did, all the things I wanted to do was just bullshit. None of it matters except Jesus. Amen. And he wasn't talking about a warm feeling. He wasn't talking about um, some sort of Jesus and me friendship that, that was just all um, warm and sticky and kind of sappy. He was saying what Paul was saying. That there's nothing we can do that brings us life, there is only one who can do it. And Jesus not only brings us life, but brings us the things that we care about in this life. And Jesus is the one who not only models how to live, but gives us a heart to want to be like that. To want to live for justice and righteousness and mercy and goodness. It is not superficial. It's a selling out. It's a focus. It's like that little moment in the Chronicles of Narnia where the traitor Edmund, the child that had gotten into this other country, Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure in the book, looked at, um, which is Persian, isn't it? Aslan is Persian for lion. Um, and looked at um, and was being accused of his, his um, betrayal. 
And all the time he just kept looking at Aslan because nothing else mattered. The accusation didn't matter. Nothing. I have another friend that I've known since sixth grade. And um, he's been a pastor and uh, continues to function in that way many ways. He retired uh, a few years ago. He uh, suffers from MS. And he's another one of those people that when I talk to him, doesn't glorify the circumstance he's in as his, his strength diminishes and the things that he loved doing, hiking in the Sierras, is not an option anymore. As he describes his experience, he says that my life is diminishing. And he doesn't say it regretfully, and he doesn't say it as a poor me. He use it, uses it as a way of saying, listen, my life is getting narrower and more focused, and all the things on the edges, it's getting smaller. I'm getting smaller. But what's happening in his life is that the things that are important are getting bigger. You'd never know it talking to him. The man's a a remarkable, I would say he's a saint. He was the best man in all of our weddings. There's a reason for that because he really was the best man. But we were talking about this, and he's looking at all those physical abilities that are diminishing. And his life is being reframed to put more weight on Jesus and less on everything else. Can we trust that we can let go of what we think are our credits. The things we've built up that we think are, somebody's going to look at and say, boy, well, that counts. That counts a lot. We'll we'll put that on your credit side. And somehow we're going to balance this ledger. Can we let go of the credits? and cling to Jesus. What does that mean for a church like PPC? Can we set aside all that we've accumulated and done? All the things we've added or advanced, all the things we've built, all the things and relationships that we've created, all the missions that we've been on, all the the chapels and houses that we've built, all the programs that we've had, all the, the large youth groups that have been part of our church, can we let go of all of that stuff and trust that Jesus is enough for the moment and for tomorrow's moment 
into eternity. That Jesus today is all we need and nothing more. Wherever the character of Jesus shows up is the down payment that God has made in us. It's not our work or our faithfulness or even our sacrifice. I think about the church that um, we started and helped build their facilities and things like that. And I've thought oftentimes, what if it all gets torn down? And we gave a lot of money to that. We gave a lot of effort. We gave a lot of energy. What if it's all torn down to the glory of God? What would it feel like? And I, I can honestly say that for the right purposes, it's what we did at the time. But I can't stand on top of it and make it the foundation of my achievements. It means nothing. It's just Jesus. At some point, that's all you'll have left. If you don't practice now, that day will feel very awkward if we don't start paying attention now. I'm afraid that for most congregations, it's really difficult to not equate our efforts with God's blessing. That's what Israel did. Our only prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, is not in the bank. N.T. Wright puts it this way. It seems this idea of prophet is what Paul means by having the Messiah as his prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. Jesus is Israel's Messiah has at last done what Israel, for all her privileges, had not and could not do. He has been in himself the light of the world, the means of salvation, the doorway to the age to come. Israel had been struggling to be God's people by keeping the law, and the result being it set up a barrier between Jew and Gentile, between the people and God himself. None of those past privileges worked for what really mattered. Knowing Jesus, gaining Jesus, being found in Jesus, to be defined by Jesus' faithfulness, to know the power of his resurrection, which is accomplished by Jesus' own suffering and death. Knowing him, not merely knowing about him, is the point. Life will flow from Jesus. Life will flow through us as it comes to us from Jesus. It will be manifest in justice and righteousness and goodness and kindness. When it's not, then we don't know Jesus as we ought. 
and we need to let go again. Wherever our disobedience shows up, wherever our character does not reflect Jesus, we need to do as we just sang in the song, I Surrender, to let go and firmly plant ourselves back in the life of Jesus. Dying to live is the rhythm. Breaking with the past completely. We need a new framework beyond credit and debit. It's so easy for us to get right back to it. Every time we do something good, we think, oh great, I could put it over there on the ledger. And Paul will look at us and say, but there isn't any side to that ledger. It's all over here with Jesus. Filling our view with Jesus, seeing others as Jesus sees them, behaving towards others as Jesus behaves towards us. Mother Teresa put it this way. Talked about working with the poorest of the poor. And she said, I see in my patient, the person before me, Jesus. A patient Jesus. Do you see in the person before you today, Jesus? Do you see in the people you meet, Jesus? In my impatience while I'm driving, do I see the other drivers as Jesus? Oh, I've got such a long way. There's nothing we bring to the table that justifies our lives. There is one who will. And you know the name. And you know the person. It's Jesus. Amen. Pray with me. God, I actually don't know how this makes any practical sense. I've spent my whole life with credits and debits. Think that every now and then, for every debit, I can add 10 credits and maybe wipe out the debt. And I just can't do it. So God, help me let go of all the things I use to justify my positions and my position in life and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing the song. It's called Majestic. Majestic.